I'm Sally Tierney, the owner of Clear Path Forward, an advocacy investigation firm in Virginia. And I love listening to the PI Perspective podcast because Matt interviews so many investigators that bring their unique expertise to the show. I've learned so much from them and look forward to every single episode. Thank you, Matt. The Campbell Group offers best-in-the-industry pricing, service, and coverage for private investigators. With more than 25 years of experience in the industry and over 3,000 PIs insured nationally, the Campbell team has the expertise to make sure you have the coverage you need. Submit an application and receive a quote within 24 hours. Let us know on your application that you're an Investigator's Toolbox member and you'll receive $50 off your annual premium. Are you an investigative professional with an international problem you can't solve? Conflict International has the knowledge and relationships to jump in for you. We compensate investigators for referring cases to our office. Contact us today for details. Conflict International uses insight, intelligence, investigation, risk management, and strategic solutions to solve problems troubling individuals and companies of all kinds anywhere around the world. Whether you're planning to hire a person to a position of trust, carry out due diligence on a company, trace hidden assets, or require skilled boots on the ground, Conflict International investigators can seamlessly pursue a case across borders, offering a truly global solution. Find out about our extensive range of services at conflictinternational.com. Conflict International, global reach, international knowledge. Welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. We're back to our regular format this week and we have a great show. Today, California PI Alan Cardoza joins the show. Alan has had an amazing career and has a passion for finding missing and exploited children. We talk about how he was at the forefront in locating these children before the advent of the internet. You can't value this skill set old-fashioned gumshoeing enough. So please welcome Alan Cardoza, and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Um, this week, I am really, really happy to have a friend of mine on the show, somebody we've talked about uh, doing an episode for a bit, and this guy actually happens to be in the biz. So I want to welcome Alan Cardoza to the program. Alan, how are you? I am doing great. In fact, I've, as you know, I've got sort of a second lease, a second lease on life. So I am enjoying every bit of it. Awesome. Second lease in a, in, in a few different ways. <laughs> yeah. Story for another day. Um, yes. Alan has had an amazing career, actually, uh, 40 years, over 40, probably in, in investigative work. And he's covered a couple different aspects. And one of the things, one of his passions um, is rescuing children. And it's something, uh, you know, that uh, he started doing a, a long time ago and has made a, a good career out of it and uh, built up a big business and then, down, you know, downsized a bit and uh, is doing some consulting work with uh, Conflict International. He's actually a, a vice president with, with Conflict. Um, and uh, we're going to kind of pull apart your career and what you did and uh, how you got to where you are now. So uh, why, don't, why don't we take it from the beginning? How, how did you get into the business? Well, first, Matthew, thank you for having me. And I, I appreciate this opportunity to be able to talk to, you know, a lot of the other people in the industry. And I know that I was given an incredible opportunity uh, by Walt Zwanitzer. I was a 19-year-old kid that went into his office and wanted to wanted to have a part-time job while I was in law school. 
And he initially said, I need a 19 year old kid. Like I need another hole in my head and right. dismissed me. <laughs> um, but I listened to him and what I heard him say was, I don't need a 19 year old kid because they don't have the persistence necessary for this job. Right. So I showed up in his office the next week, every day before he arrived. And I would sit there and talk to his secretary right. and he'd walk in He'd look at her, he'd look at me, look back at her and shrug his shoulders like, I don't know why this kid is here. And he'd go in his office and I'd talk with her. Well, after about a week of this, he came out and he looked at her and he said, I've got a rush case. Get me, you know, get George, you know, get him out there right now. Can't get George. He's on such and such a case. Well, get Brett then. Can't get him. He's on this thing goes on and on. And then eventually he looks at me and he looks at her because I guess I'll try this kid. There you go. <laughs> and, and so my point for bringing it up is, is that it was the persistence. First of all, it was listening. It was yeah. listening to a man that had been in the business for a very long time. And then being persistent in showing him that I would be there if he needed somebody. Sure. And, you know, and so, and so that's kind of how I got, got hired. Well, and, I mean, I guess you were lucky that he, he didn't get a loitering ticket <laughs> you were <loitering laughs> quite a bit. So, exactly. Know, it's funny that you say that because I had a similar situation, not being a 19 year old, but, but having a, a prospective employee. So I had been at an event for John Jay college, which I graduated from. It was an alumni event. I went back and, um, you know, we, we, there were a whole bunch of people there. Everybody was talking about what they did. And, and I was talking about the fact that I actually don't have a law enforcement career. I didn't, you know, like it just didn't work out that way for me. Um, I ended up going in the private industry and then starting my own business. And I, and I was talking about that. And afterwards there was a gentleman who came over to me. He goes, I'd like to start working for you. I said, great. Spanish speaking guy. All right. That's great. Um, I had a law enforcement background from, um, South America. Okay, great. Awesome. Right. Very mature. Seems good. Um, okay. So where do you live? He goes, I live in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I was like, well, well, that's a deal breaker. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's like an hour and a half, two hours from New York city. I'm like, this job requires you to drive a lot. And he's like, no, I want to work for you. I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not going to work out. So you talk about persistence. This guy literally like wasn't sitting in my office, but he was calling me like every day for like two or three mm -hmm. weeks. And he's like, give me a chance. You know, it's my decision to make that commute, not yours. I was like, fine. All right. I'll just try you out. It's good. Right. Mm -hmm. So the guy ended up working for me for almost eight years. Um, he, he was fantastic. He was really, really good. Um, the best first employee I could ever have. And that's literally what he was. Yeah. While you were, while you were talking about that, it reminded me of when you said, as far as an employee, I needed an undercover agent. And this is, I'm going back 35 years. <clears throat> And I had described exactly what I needed. And I needed somebody that was Hispanic, that could fit in, uh, and that uh, was in a really, really bad neighborhood. And that uh, a lot of the workers there were migrant workers. And uh, it, it would be a rough assignment. Then we needed somebody that could fit in. And I had people that showed up with their you know, their resume, they showed up in a suit and they did different things. One guy came in and he looked like he just rolled off the street. He looked like <laughs> a migrant worker right. and shaved. Right. Um, and, and he came in 
and and I'm looking at him like, I don't know if he gets this. And he hands me his resume and there's a picture of him in a suit. And he said, I just as soon show you that I can fit in, but I know how to wear a suit rather than show up in a suit and have you guess if I can fit in. He's an actor. <laughs> that guy, that's the guy that got the job. Um. So, so, you know, and, and I'm glad we're talking about this because I know that your show goes out to, to lots of investigators and many of which might be looking for a job. So these are some of the things that you can do. If you can be persistent, if you can show that you can fit into a situation, this is how we're going to respond to it as the employer. Yeah. No, it's fitting into a, a, a situation as being dependable, you know, mm -hmm. being, being efficient, um, able to, you know, follow directions, you know, yeah. showing up is, you know, 75% of the job is actually putting the effort into doing it. Um, you know, and just knowing how to write or how to ask the right questions and, and write good reports and things like that. So that's, that's all important uh, stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it leads you to other opportunities and it leads you to more interesting work, like finding runaway teens. So tell me, uh, tell me about the runaways, man. How'd you get into doing all that? Well, and that also started with Walt and, Walt had a contract with Delamo Hospital. So if a child ran away from the psychiatric unit, Walt was the person that would find them. Right. And while working for him, one took off and he said, he goes, here's the assignment. I want you to find this snot-nosed kid because you look like him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I went, okay, I think that's a compliment. Right. Um, but that became my account and that became something that i really really thought this was my calling because it was you know i was dealing with kids that weren't that much younger than me right and so i could think like them i could fit in i was fortunate that at 19 years old i looked like i was 15. so yeah, i would just blend right in with them and, and the other kids would tell me where they were because they thought i was one of them right but but the one case that had the biggest influence on me was a runaway girl. And in this case, you know, I, I met with the mother. The mother said, <clears throat> you know, that she'd been gone for X amount of days. And I said, you know, well, you know, are, where's the father? She said, we're divorced. I said, well, was it possible that, you know, maybe she's with him? She goes, no, 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 that's not it at all. She goes, I already called him. That's not happening. I said, right. okay. So I started looking. And I learned that she was going to be at this party at this house. And I started watching from a distance and I'm watching with binoculars. And as the party starts to break up, these, what looks like dads are coming to pick up their daughters. And you know, these girls are getting on the, the car or truck or whatever, and then they would leave. And then I see what I think is the girl. And so I'm, I'm, I'm watching with the binoculars, gets in this vehicle and they start going in the back of my mind. And I thought, well, this is one of those divorces where parents are not communicating. Uh, and, you know, so I'm thinking I'm going to end up calling mom and saying she's with dad and everything's okay. But I follow them, make sure they go back to what I think is dad's house. Well, they went back to a trailer park. And after they parked and went inside, I took some time. I snuck up. I looked into the window. And the guy was having sex with her. It's not dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but at that point in time, it hit me 
that I hadn't been watching a party. I'd been watching a place where uh, adult men were taking teenage girls. Right. Right. So we're talking about uh, trafficking and, and all exactly. That. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're now talking about human trafficking. We're talking about these girls being exploited. And I ended up calling Walt. And again, this is so far, this is so far back that, you know, I had to go to a pay phone. I was going to say, I don't think you had a cell phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he said, um, yeah, he said, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's human trafficking, uh, you know, stay there, call the police. We had the police come in. Um, she was already gone that they hit the police hit the party first. And so she was gone. We ended up finding her again, you know, it, but it, it had such an effect on me that that became my focus. Any case that involved children, any case that involved teens who were being exploited, that became my focus as to how, how I could not only get them out of that situation, but I felt so close to their their age and their situation in life that uh, I would sit down and talk with them. And in fact, I changed my major from law to psychology because I was so interested in what was going on in their life that put them in these situations and how could I help? Sure. I mean, the world has enough lawyers anyway, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we did okay. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. And when you think about it, like back in then, right? 40, 35, 40 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't have all the technology that we have today. You know, I mean, granted, now it's a whole different ballgame because a lot of this trafficking takes place, you know, on the dark web or whatever, right? So there's not there's not that tangible location to go to find somebody there wherever they are until they're not, right? Right. Um you must have seen that progression over the years. Things just start to shift. Um, when would you say that, that it, you know, doing that kind of work, that it started to shift into something different than the situation that you just explained? Well, I, I think you've identified it because it became the internet age. And as we had the internet age, a lot of parents would say, well, you know, what are you going to do, you know, to find them? And back then it was, you find their friends you know, and you follow their friends and their friends lead you to them. And I said, now, if you do not have somebody that knows how to, to, um, search, uh, social media, mm -hmm. how to, you know, how to deal with things electronically, you're going to have a much more difficult time, but that's, but, but again, you nailed it. Once the internet came in, it became an entirely different ball game as to how you would find them. Which is one of the things that's important for any investigator is times are going to change. If you don't continue to grow and change with them, you're going to become antiquated and you're you're not going to stay in business. Right. And um, obviously the, the makeup of who these men or women are that are actually trafficking these kids. I mean, I'm sure that's the the, uh, the look, the makeup of that particular person has changed over the years, too, I would assume. Right. Yeah, it actually got more organized. You know, in in the past, you know, you would find that there was a couple of people that decided that they could make a little bit of extra money, whereas now it is much more organized. It's it's part of an organized crime situation to where they're moving them. Mm -hmm. We ended up having cases to where they would, um, you know, they would take kids that they would get from California. We would end up finding them in Florida because their plan was was that they would move them they'd move them to vegas after about a month 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and then they would move them to Texas and then they would move in. So they would keep moving them on the basis that they could never go back to their original family and they couldn't be in one place long enough to be able to get new friends or a new family, a new group that would actually help them outside of doing what they needed them to do for their, their criminal enterprise. Yeah. I'm sure the, uh, uh, in Florida, the, the, on the mailbox, it said it had the initials J E on it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) probably. Yes. (laughs) They all end up up down in Florida. (laughs) Sometimes they hang themselves when they're done. So, um yeah it's yes. uh, it's crazy it's really crazy to see how things have changed um what's your opinion um with regards to the ease or the access of of internet pornography uh you, you got to think that that's kind of kicked everything up a notch and has has whetted some appetites and, and grown the trafficking business what, what's your opinion on that well again i think you're right it it has grown it. And in, in a lot of cases, it's because the world got smaller mm-hmm. because, you know, before you know, you would have somebody and, you know, if they took them in Orange County and maybe they went to Los Angeles, you know, so you know, they went 40 miles and that was far enough away from their, their social group right. that the kids didn't, didn't immediately try to go back. Right. Now, a lot of it is, is they're brought in from other countries. So they they research and find them from another country. They set up fake jobs. They bring them over to this country. They take away their passports and they own them. Right. You know, it's ugly. Yeah, it's so scary, man. It. it uh, I think the internet has caused the world to be smaller, and uh, for the opportunities for bad actors to be greater. Right, and that uh, being anonymous and and being able to hide in the shadows you know, only adds to it. Um, yeah, I recall, I, I haven't really done much of this type of work, but I recall an incident, um, years ago where I had to go to a, a building, um, a very prominent building in New York city and go photograph, um, uh, an apartment, um, and a penthouse apartment. And, um, you know, the attorney, you know, the, he's like, yeah, I want to be very clear about this. Like, I need you to, to photograph everything. I need you to document all the rooms the measurements of the rooms, you know, um, square footage, like all this stuff. And, and it wasn't occupied at the time and they, and they were trying to sell it, I think. And, um, I'm like, what's going on here? It goes, oh yeah, this was a dungeon where somebody was like kept, you know, against their will for a long time. And it doesn't hit you till you get there and you're in this room or in this apartment and you're going, somebody was trapped here. Yeah. That's terrible. I mean, they got a nice view of Central Park, but man, like you, you don't, re- it doesn't really hit home until you're there and going, somebody could not leave this space, you know, on their own volition, right? They were literally trapped here and you just yeah. let, you know, let that sit there for a while and, and, you know, marinate in your brain. It, it, it's scary to think that people could do this to one another, right? Well, and, and for those of us, you know, we, you and I have talked and stuff that are, <clears throat> raised you know in the united states and you know and have have had a lot of really wonderful opportunities and stuff it's just beyond our even comprehension that there are people living like that that there are people that are are holding other people against their their will that there are people that are exploiting them for money 
uh, I mean, it's it, it's really difficult to handle. On the other hand, when you go into other countries and you're working cases in other countries and you talk with some of the people there, they're not shocked. Right. Because they've been raised with, that's just one of the things that happens. Right, it's what happens, right. Yeah. Um, which is sad, you know, but I guess it is It is what it is. And, and as you go to these other countries and you see cultural differences, you know, these are things like you may, are shocked, but you know, again, yeah. like you're saying, like, hey, this is just par for the course. Nothing, yeah. uh, nothing to see here. Keep it moving. Uh, and then when you start considering about governments, right, and governments getting involved, and that's not always the case where you'll have uh, a government agency that that uh, will look at this issue or this matter. Even in now, now it's right in front of our face, but you don't even see too much of that. It's more along the lines that I think retired people that have those connections throughout the world that that feel that strongly about um uh doing this kind of work that that get into it right yeah there th yeah there is a lot of really great nonprofits that are using as you say you know retired people that are going into these countries and making a difference mm -hmm. and they know especially if they worked in that country before they know that in some cases you can't trust law enforcement law enforcement in some cases are involved mm -hmm. and so they have to set it up in such a way that uh, that they can get everything done that they need to get done. But at the same time, they know that they're taking some huge risks yeah. uh, because in some cases they're taking money out of the pockets of law enforcement themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, there, there are some really cool events in our space and in our industry that take place earlier this year. I had buddy Jericho on, but he's actually been on a few times and uh, they do this thing called the skull games. Uh, which when you hear skull games, that's what, who wants to do that? It was this death, like crazy craziness, like are there skateboarders running, <laughs> rolling around all over the place? What is this about? And essentially it's the uh, open source, um, you know, in, in people, the new specialists that um, they, they break into teams and they have a competition to try and locate um, trafficked people. Yeah. or identify pimps you know who can then be arrested and it's usually like a two-day event they're doing them more frequently now i think i just saw the other day they're they're going to do one in in new jersey with uh cynthia hetherington and the hetherington group they're, they're going to be doing mm -hmm. um something coming up um and i think it's great that you know us uh o centers for good are, are out there trying to you know push yeah. and and really uh rescue people like this it's uh it's good it's a way for us to use our tools and our trade to give back or, or do something. But, you know, yep. this, this isn't the, the, what you signed up for when you initially got in into it, right? It, it's more than just tracking down somebody's friends to find out exactly uh, where they're at. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a long game for you and it's a different game, right? Yeah. But in, to me, it's, it's been a blessing. Uh, you know, the, the fact that I could, that I could end up doing something where I can make a positive difference in the world Mm -hmm. uh, and have figured out how to get paid to do it. You know, I, I take that as, as one of the, one of the blessings of life. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're going to step out here to take a quick break. When we come back in, we'll hammer a little more on this detail. And then uh, I want to talk a little bit also about, um, you know, obviously you've had a long career and, and some of the new things that you're doing the partnerships that you, you have uh, at this point. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. 
Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the InvestigatorsToolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Do you enjoy our podcast and the guests we bring you? Since 2019, Matt and his team have done their very best to give you amazing shows each week. If you feel like our show has helped you to be a better investigator, or maybe even inspired you to become an investigator, please let us know. We're looking for testimonials. Drop Matt an email with a recorded 20 to 30 seconds of you talking about this podcast. You can also email him something verbal about the website. His email is S at SatellitePI.com. And if you really feel blessed for having this content, consider supporting Matt and our show by joining Investigators Toolbox. You really have to see version 2.0. And at just 49 cents a day, it's a no-brainer. Are you an investigator that can't find the time for research, or are you stuck on a case that has given you issues? Satellite Investigations has a dedicated research team that specializes in skip tracing and defendant locates. Let our expert researchers use a balanced technique of research and pretext know-how to authenticate data and get you the answers you need. Contact us today by emailing us at newcase at satellitepi.com. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Today, I'm here with my friend, Alan Cardoza. Uh, Alan's an investigator in California, um, but does work with Conflict International as well. So, Alan, I want to welcome you back to the program. Thank you, Matt. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, yeah me too. I'm glad we finally had the uh, chance to to chat. So, um, your actual business um, is West Shield uh, Adolescent Services, right? And, and West Shield Investigations. Uh, that that's that's your 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 baby, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, it started as West Shield Investigations, but I was doing so much work with transporting um, at-risk youth mm. that for insurance reasons and so many other, and licensing reasons, um, it made more sense to split the companies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that totally makes sense. I'm sorry. What's that? And that totally makes sense. That, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Um, and eventually, West Shield Adolescent Services became larger than West Shield Investigations, it, uh, to the point in which it was doing probably 350 transports a year, as well as crisis intervention, um, right. and really working with teens. Right. So, so obviously, that involves some scaling up on on your end. Um, yes. What was that like? I mean, what were some of the challenges um, early on getting that going? I think I'm going to get some people mad at me. I think one of the things that I started to shift uh, away from a lot of the people that I was using for the investigation company was law enforcement and some, some departments allowed moonlighting. Um, and in other cases I had retired people, but uh, I had some really good people that were former or current law enforcement once I shifted over to doing a lot more of the transports, started to get away from it. Mm-hmm. We we had a certain amount of people that were, but what we were realizing, especially from a management standpoint, that was working out. But the adolescent services part, 
you get younger and younger. You need to, your agents need to get younger. They need to be able to relate better. Right. And I used to refer to it as a stretch. And I would say to the agents and myself eventually becoming one of the older people mm-hmm. was, you know, when you're young, your stretch is huge. You can fit into so many different situations and play different roles as you find these young people. As we got older, it gets smaller. Right. And and I can only play certain roles in these situations. And you can't go into a group of kids and get them to talk to you if to them, you know, you look like a parent or you look like a cop. Okay, boomer. All <laughs> <There you laughs> <go>, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so but anyway, so that was the biggest thing is the Atlas Services Company, um, although managed with the structure of people trained in law enforcement. Sure. We continued to hire younger and younger people, and we would set up teams. And so the team might be a, a retired law enforcement. If we were going after a male, we might have a retired law enforcement, but we might have a you know a, a 22-year-old trainee that just got out of the academy and it hasn't been picked up by anybody um, you know, that, that fits better into some of those situations. Right. Right. And I guess, you know, the bigger you get now, you got to start managing all that as well. Yes. Um, how many projects would, could you potentially have going on at the same time? I'd say in the nineties on the investigation side, we're probably doing about a hundred cases a month and probably about 30 transports a month. So oh. there, there was, there was a lot of crossover of cases that were going in different directions. Have you ever had any of these people that you've rescued, like, get back in touch with you or give you updates as to how they're doing. You know what? I'm, I'm so glad you asked that because one of my favorite stories is that um, on Thanksgiving, um, what my family has always done is we go around the table and everybody talks about what they're thankful for. Yeah. Well, there was a family that also does that, that happened to be somebody who I had transported. And in the middle of our family doing this, I get a call. And my family comes from construction, so they always thought it was very weird that I would even have a phone with me at the right. table or a beeper or anything else. Right. But, but I excused myself, went off, and when I came back, um, I was I was teared up a bit. And so they asked, what was that about? And it was a young man that I had transported three times, and he was calling to say that as they're going around the table they're not only thinking about and talking about what they're grateful for, but they each decided that they wanted to call somebody who wasn't present to tell them how grateful, and he chose to call me. Oh, that's cool. It it was one of the most touching things, and he started the sentence with, you probably don't remember me, and I went, wait a minute. I said, first of all, there's very few people I transported three times. Three times, exactly. I remember you really well. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And and uh, and we talked about it because he was one that I also had located as a runaway and he was stayed up in a hotel and I sent one of our biggest guys to the door and I went around to the back window figuring that when my big guy knocked on the door that he would and so he jumps out the back window and I just smile at him because you know, if, if he saw me come to the door I knew he wouldn't because I had transported him before right. when he jumps out the window he just shook his head and went oh well here we go. Here we go. Back to the program. <laughs> exactly. 
uh, maybe this time it'll stick in. <laughs> yeah. It'll stick. Um, but but and and the best part of the story is, he said, I want to share with you that, and he's now twenty six years old. It had been thirteen years since I had transported him. Wow. He said, I'm twenty six years old. He said, I'm where I'm married. I I work for I think it was Metco Forge, which is a big tool company. He said, my wife is pregnant. He says, I've got a great job. I've got a great life. And if it wasn't for you and some of the doctors that worked with me at that time, I'd probably be dead or in jail. Wow. So, I mean, that, that puts fire in your belly, man. That keeps you going for sure. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I would guess like now you probably do a little bit of consulting, a little bit of, uh, mitigation for these situations. Um, how what what advice would you give to parents of teens or or folks like that have younger children to um you know get ready to to try and combat all this craziness that's out there what would you say well number one thing is communication mm-hmm. um i i spoke in washington dc to a group of psychiatrists and psychologists and i started out by saying put me out of business please Right, and then they all froze from it. What are they talking about? Take my wife. Um, yeah, really. <laughs> and, and, and I said, you know, I said one of the questions that they asked was, "What is the one thing that you see more than anything else when you're dealing with these teens?" I said, "Absentee father, either physically or mentally." Mm-hmm. And in so many cases, when we're working with them. Uh, either it's a divorce, so there is no father living in the family, or the father is working so hard, and I know that he believes he's doing everything he possibly can. Yeah, that's a good point. To you know, to to give these kids a better life. Yeah, but if you're not there, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, here's what it comes down to: you're either raising your kids or somebody else is. Yeah, you know, somebody's exactly. speaking into the lives of your kids. It's either going to be you and your spouse, or somebody else. And, uh, you know, if you can't control that kind of content that's going in there, then you really have no excuse. But I, I, you know, that, that point that you make about working too hard, like that's real. Yeah. You know, and when you look at our economy and how expensive everything is, I mean, as of recording today, like interest rates have went up over 7%, you know, like it, it's, it's nuts. Right. So, uh, you know, you have to work hard to survive. Right. But then you also have to balance if you don't have that work-life balance. You know, that, that's something can, that can be really, really challenging, uh, especially as an investigator, right? Cause we, right. we like to work, <laughs> we mm-hmm. really like to work, you know, and there's always work. That's the other thing too, as an investigator working in a small business, there's yeah. always going to be something to do always, but you know, you get 18 years with your kids, if you're lucky before they're out, <laughs> you know, and how you choose to speak into them is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. One of the things I am so proud of, I'm, I'm so proud of both of my sons, but my oldest son um, bought me out of the adolescent services company. And I told him one of the things that I'm most proud about him is, is that he brought on one of the managers and he made him a duty agent mm-hmm. you know, and, and brought on someone that was, that was older, whose, whose kids are already graduated and he made him a duty agent. Because I didn't think that it was unusual that I had what I was told at times was, you know, a phone or a beeper surgically attached to me. 
Right. And I would get a call at four o'clock in the morning and they would say, Johnny just ran away from XYZ psych hospital. Right. And I was just up and gone. And it it seemed normal. And then I realized it's not. And right. I'm, again, I'm just so proud of my son who said, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing me, but saying, you know, I'm going to set things up better, dad. We've got a whole up. cats in a cradle moment going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, but yeah, it's, you know, you, you have to be there and, and I'm not saying that I wasn't there. I, I tried to make up for it with other things. So I was a room dad, right. I was a room dad and I went in and I signed a document when my oldest child, when he was first going into kindergarten and it was, a it was, it said room parent, room moms sign up here. And I just, and I just signed up right. and we all came back a week or two later and she announced who was going to be her room, uh, parents and she said well first of all we're going to change the form it'll now say room parent because we now have a male right. very and progressive so at school <laughs> i was the first man to sign up to be a room parent uh in the class but you know i felt if i if i knew that there were times i was going to be gone i was going to make sure that i was there with them other times as well yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things about being a, a business owner and, and even in the investigative field, because the hours are kind of weird and herky jerky, you know, like you can live your life, like you can schedule your work around yes. your life responsibilities, right? It's one of those advantages. I, I remember when I had uh, one of my guys who's actually a VP with me now, when he started, he's like, I like to coach softball. It gets me out. I get some exercise. And it, it it's happening from this date to that date. You know, it's like a two month period and uh, from three o'clock to five o'clock, he goes, is it okay if I do this? Yes, please have your work life balance. Go do it. As long as you're not, you know, shirking your responsibilities and you're getting the work done. I don't care. Go for it, man. I encourage you to do it. Right. And, you know, he did it all the way up until COVID and COVID ended that program. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what, you know, what, he hasn't asked to do it again. So I don't know if he's doing something else or whatever, or maybe it's gotten to the point where he doesn't even ask me anymore. He just does it. Cause I don't, I don't care the work gets done. Right. Um, yep. So that's, uh, that's been super, super important. So let's talk a little bit about your relationship with conflict international conflict is a sponsor of this program. Um, you know, folks know that, that uh, Michael court has been on many times. He's a, he's a great guest. Um, and I, I think what you do is very interesting when you start adding in conflicts, um, leverage that they have around the world, um, yeah. for traffic and things like that. So tell me a little bit about that relationship and what you're doing for them. Well, first I'll tell you how it started. And that is that, um, Mike and I are both past presidents of the world association of detectives. Right. And we, so we were both on the executive committee, which is made up of past presidents. So. And so I started sharing with him that I was. I was nearing um, retirement, uh, or at least scaling back. That I've decided that I'm only going to take on the cases that I really want to do. <clears throat> and so I just started referring things out. You know, people would call me, and if it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, um, I would just refer it out. And any time that I referred anything to conflict anywhere around the world, my clients came back to me and went, "Thank you so much." I mean, that was so great. Um, it was great experiences every time. And so so as I talked more about retirement and Mike and I talked about it, he said, well, you know, rather than retire, why don't you just 
join us. I mean, you're already kind of referring things to us um, and, and it all seems to work. And I couldn't have thought of a better situation. And it's really where I, I see myself as far as being part of a team. I want to be part of a team that I can trust. I want to be part of a team that um, I know that if I refer something out, even before, if I referred it out, it was so important to me that it got done right, that the client felt like they were well taken care of sure. uh, and that they got value for their money. Yeah. And that's what they were getting. So to me, it just became a natural fit for me to join them. Yeah. I've had similar situations with them, you know, um, on, on the New York scale, you know, where, you know, you get a lot of these international businesses that, um, they, they all seem to have offices in New York, right? So there's that synergy back and forth where we, we have a, a mutual interest in, in, in partnering up and doing work together. And, uh, you know, you're, you're at it for a few years with, with Mike and his team. I'm, I'm just getting my feet wet with doing this stuff, but yeah, it, it's, it's pr- really been awesome to see it work. And, um, you know, if, if any of the folks listening out there do uh, international work or, or they get a, an assignment that's international and they go, what do I do now? What, you know, and or I can't handle that. I don't know anybody, um, you know, consider reaching out to these guys and, and using them, uh, to, uh, to get it done because they do, uh, have a certain methodology of doing things that will make you look good. Um, yeah, that's hands down that that's the way it, uh, that's the way it goes. Um, Absolutely. so yeah. So, I mean, w- what does the future bring for, uh, Mr. Alan Cardoza as we, uh, look to wrap things up here? Where, where do you see yourself in the next few years? Um, well, I'm, uh, right now I'm working with, um, some, uh, various, uh, Metro transit authorities. So one of the things that I did as West Shield was we did backgrounds for uh, law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, if there's any law enforcement agencies out there listening, it is one of the best things that you can do. The fact that you, if you outsource this, um, what happens anytime one of your officers uh, is involved in anything where a lawsuit is involved, mm-hmm. the the other side will always go after training. They'll always go after, you know, you know, was there a mistake done in the hiring or anything? Mm-hmm. If you outsource this, that means it's on us. So, so the department itself doesn't have to worry about it. You don't have to deal with all of that because it would come on us. Now, fortunately we haven't had any because we do a really good job of the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm able to expand that because of conflict and do more than than just the, the accounts that I had in Southern California, because that's that was considered my area. That was sure. where I focused on. Sure. As far as backgrounds, now I'm talking to you know um, Metro Transit authorities all over the country, saying that I am now part of a, a company that can provide the services that you need mm. anywhere in the world. You know, another great benefit is is that from a hiring standpoint. I started, I originally got the MPA contract like 35 years ago. And in fact, it was called RTD then, Rapid Transit District. And since that time, everything now is so much more automated. You don't have to have people right there. But the other thing is, is that hiring, hiring is now from people that are from other countries. We rarely have that. 30 years ago, you know, about 10 years ago, 
we were realizing that probably 20% of the people that were applying for a law enforcement position, the investigation had to go beyond the United States from right. where they had originally come from. And, and now because of conflict, I can do those investigations perfectly. Yeah. And, and again, and right now with the, you know, the Metro transit, most agencies are now in hiring mode. You know, through through conflict, they lost a lot of people and they all are now saying, OK, we need to get strong again. We need to to hire and get back to full strength. Yeah. And and that's what we're trying to do for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I had an investigator in my state association reach out to me and be like, it was like, uh, you know, I, I've got something in, in Yemen. I got to need some process service. Yeah. In Yemen. <laughs> He's like, do you know anybody? I'm like, mm, maybe yeah. <laughs> so I reached out to Mike. And said, hey, do you know anybody? And, and you know, obviously there are some parameters of, of what you can do. It's a war-torn country. But at least these guys are having a conversation and connected the dots. And uh, um, I, I'll be interested to see what ends up happening with that. But it, it was one of these, yes, we can handle it uh, if it meets certain criteria. So um, right. it is what it is at that point, right? So yeah. that's good. So we're going to wind down here. Alan, this has been great. It's been so nice to... Um, you know, talk with you more on a professional level. You and I have seen each other at events uh, and, 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 but we haven't really had the time to sit down and, and chat. So I really appreciate, you know, this time to, to hear your story and get your perspective on how things are done. And uh, I think it's, it's fascinating. If folks want to get a hold of you, uh, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, probably my email address is uh, a Cardoza at conflictinternational.com mm. uh, that would probably be the best way or if you just go to the conflict international website um where it says to get in touch with somebody you know just tell them you want to get in touch with me and they will get me on the phone right away awesome and we'll have all the links in the show notes um there so uh, i want to thank everybody for uh, checking this out and uh, supporting the show please support our sponsors and uh we'll have an, a new show for you guys next week uh, with more content. So uh, take care, everyone. Have a good week and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks for checking in and listening to this great episode. You can really see Alan's passion for the subject. Also, big thanks to Campbell Insurance Group for sponsoring the show. Remember to tell them that you listen to the podcast to save $50 when you apply for insurance. An additional thanks to the PI Institute for Education, Satellite Investigations, and Conflict International for sponsoring our podcast. Also, don't forget about InvestigatorsToolbox.com. You can type in version 2.0, 25% to save $50 when you do join. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible, and we'll be back next week with a brand new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.